Section twenty three of Celebrated Crimes, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Celebrated Crimes, Volume One by Alexander Dumas. Translated by G. B. Ives. Section twenty three. The Borges. Chapter thirteen. Part one. The time had now come for the Duke of Valentinois to continue the pursuit of his conquests. So, since on the 1st of May in the preceding year the Pope had pronounced sentence of forfeiture in full consistory against Julius Caesar of Verano, as punishment for the murder of his brother Rudolph for the harbouring of the Pope's enemies, and he had accordingly been mulcted of his fief of Camerino, which was to be handed over to the Apostolic Chamber. Caesar left Rome to put the sentence in execution. Consequently, when he arrived on the frontiers of Perugia, which belonged to his lieutenant, Gian Paolo Baglioni, he sent Oliverotto da Fermo and Orsini of Guarini to lay waste the march of Camerino, at the same time petitioning Guido Gilbaldo di Montefeltro, Duke of Urbino, to lend his soldiers and artillery to help him in this enterprise. The unlucky Duke of Urbino, who enjoyed the best possible relations with the Pope, and who had no reason for distrusting Caesar, did not dare refuse. But on the very same day that the Duke of Urbino's troops started for Camerino, Caesar's troops entered the Duchy of Urbino, and took possession of Caldi, one of the four towns of the little state. The Duke of Urbino knew what awaited him if he tried to resist, and fled incontinently, disguised as a peasant. Thus, in less than eight days, Caesar was master of his whole duchy, except the fortress of Maiolo and San Leone. The Duke of Valentinois forthwith returned to Camerino, where the inhabitants still held out, encouraged by the presence of Julius Caesar di Verano, their lord, and his two sons, Venantio and Hannibal. The eldest son, Gian Maria, had been sent by his father to Venice. The presence of Caesar was the occasion of parleying between the besiegers and besieged, a capitulation was arranged whereby Verano engaged to give up the town, on condition that he and his sons were allowed to retire safe and sound, taking with them their furniture, treasure, and carriages. But this was by no means Caesar's intention, so, profiting by the relaxation in vigilance that had naturally come about in the garrison when the news of the capitulation had been announced, he surprised the town in the night preceding the surrender, and seized Caesar de Verano and his two sons, who were strangled a short time after, the father at La Pergola and the sons at Pesaro, by Don Michel Corelio, who, though he had left the position of Spiro for that of a captain, every now and then returned to his first business. Meanwhile, Vitellozzo Vitelli, who had assumed the title of General of the Church, and had under him eight hundred men-at-arms and three thousand infantry, was following the secret instructions that he had received from Caesar by word of mouth, and was carrying forward that system of invasion which was to encircle Florence in a network of iron, and in the end make her defence an impossibility. A worthy pupil of his master, in whose school he had learned to use, in turn, the cunning of a fox and the strength of a lion, he had established an understanding between himself and certain young gentlemen of Arezzo to get that town delivered into his hands. But the plot had been discovered by Guglielmo del Pazzi, commissary of the Florentine Republic, and he had arrested two of the conspirators. 
whereupon the others, who were much more numerous than was supposed, had instantly dispersed about the town, summoning the citizens to arms. All the Republican faction, who saw in any sort of revolution the means of subjugating Florence, joined their party, set the captives at liberty, and seized Guglielmo. Then, proclaiming the establishment of the ancient constitution, they besieged the citadel, whither Cosimo de Pazzi, bishop of Arezzo, the son of Guglielmo, had fled for refuge. He, finding himself invested on every side, sent a messenger in hot haste to Florence to ask for help. Unfortunately for the cardinal, Vitellozzo's troops were nearer to the besiegers than were the soldiers of the most serene republic to the besieged, and instead of help, the whole army of the enemy came down upon him. This army was under the command of Vitellozzo, of Gianpaolo Baglioni, and of Fabio Orsino, and with them were the two Medici, ever ready to go wherever there was a league against Florence, and ever ready at the command of Borgia, on any conditions whatsoever, to re-enter the town whence they had been banished. The next day more help in the form of money and artillery arrived, sent by Pandolfo Petrucci, and on the 18th of June the citadel of Arezzo, which had received no news from Florence, was obliged to surrender. Vitellozzo left the men of Arezzo to look after their town themselves, leaving also Fabio Orsina to garrison the citadel with a thousand men. Then, profiting by the terror that had been spread throughout all this part of Italy, by the successive captures of the Duchy of Urbino, of Camerino, and of Arezzo, he marched upon Monte San Severino, Castiglione, Aretino, Cortoni, and the other towns of the valley of Ciana, which submitted one after the other almost without a struggle. When he was only ten or twelve leagues from Florence, and dared not, on his own account, tempt anything against her, he made known the state of affairs to the Duke of Valentinois. He, fancying the hour had come at last, for striking the blow so long delayed, started off at once to deliver his answer in person to his faithful lieutenants. But the Florentines, though they had sent no help to Guglielmo de Pazzi, had demanded aid from Charmont Dumbest, governor of the Milanese, on behalf of Louis the Twelfth, not only explaining the danger they themselves were in, but also Caesar's ambitious projects, namely, that after first overcoming the small principalities and then the states of the second order, he had now, it seemed, reached such a height of pride that he would attack the King of France himself. The news from Naples was disquieting. Serious differences had already occurred between the Count of Armagnac and Gonzalo di Cordova, and Louis might any day need Florence, whom he had always found loyal and faithful. He therefore resolved to check Caesar's progress, and not only sent him orders to advance no further, step forwards, but also sent off, to give effect to his injunction, the captain Imbo with four hundred lances. The Duke of Valentinois, on the frontier of Tuscany, received a copy of the treaty signed between the Republic and the King of France, a treaty in which the King engaged to help his ally against any enemy whatsoever, and at the same moment the formal prohibition from Louis to advance any further. Caesar also learned that beside the four hundred lances with the Captain Imbo, which were on the road to Florence, Louis Twelfth had, as soon as he reached Asti, sent off to Parma Louis de la Tromwe and two hundred men-at-arms, three thousand Swiss, and a considerable train of artillery. In these two movements combined, he saw hostile intentions toward himself, and, turning right about face with his usual agility, 
he profited by the fact that he had given nothing but verbal instructions to all his lieutenants and wrote a furious letter to vitellozzo reproaching him for compromising his master with a view to his own private interest and ordering the instant surrender to the florentines of the towns and fortresses he had taken threatening to march down with his own troops and take them if he hesitated for a moment as soon as this letter was written caesar departed for milan where louis the twelfth had just arrived bringing with him proof positive that he had been calumniated in the evacuation of the conquered towns he also was entrusted with the pope's mission to renew for another eighteen months the title of legate a latere in france to cardinal dumbrist the friend rather than the minister of louis the twelfth thus thanks to the public proof of his innocence and private use of his influence caesar soon made his peace with the king of france but this was not all it was in the nature of caesar's genius to divert an impending calamity that threatened his destruction so as to come out of it better than before and he suddenly saw the advantage he might take from the pretended disobedience of his lieutenants already he had been disturbed now and again by their growing power and coveted their towns now he thought the hour had perhaps come for suppressing them also and in the usurpation of their private possessions striking a blow at florence who always escaped him at the very moment when he thought to take her it was indeed an annoying thing to have these fortresses and towns displaying another banner than his own in the midst of the beautiful romagna which he desired for his own kingdom for vitellozzo possessed gitta di castello bentivoglio bologna gian paolo baglioni was in command of perugia oliverotto had just taken fermo and pandolfo petrucci was lord of siena it was high time that all these returned into his own hands the lieutenants of the duke of valentinois like alexander's were becoming too powerful and borgia must inherit from them unless he were willing to let them become his own heirs he obtained from louis twelve three hundred lances wherewith to march against them as soon as vitellozzo vitelli received caesar's letter he perceived that he was being sacrificed to the fear that the king of france inspired but he was not one of those victims who suffer their throats to be cut in the expiation of a mistake he was a buffalo of romagna who opposed his horns to the knife of the butcher besides he had the example of verano and the manfredi before him and death for death he preferred to perish in arms so vitellozzo convoked at magione all whose lives or lands were threatened by this new reversal of caesar's policy these were paolo orsino gian paolo baglioni hermes bentivoglio representing his father gian antonio di fanafro the envoy of pandolfo petrucci oliver toxo da fermo and the duke of urbino the first six had everything to lose and the last had already lost everything a treaty of alliance was signed between the confederates they engaged to resist whether he attacked them severally or altogether caesar learned the existence of this league by its first effects the duke of urbino who was adored by his subjects had come with a handful of soldiers to the fortress of san leone and it had yielded at once in less than a week towns and fortresses followed this example and all the duchy was once more in the hands of the duke of urbino at the same time each member of the confederacy openly proclaimed his revolt against the common enemy and took up a hostile attitude caesar was at imola awaiting the french troops but with scarcely any men so that bentivoglio who held part of the country and the duke of urbino who had just reconquered the rest of it 
could probably have either taken him or forced him to fly and quit the Romagna, had they marched against him. All the more, since the two men on whom he counted, viz. Don Ugo di Cardona, who had ended his service after Capua was taken, and Michelotto, had mistaken his intention, and were all at once separated from him. He had really ordered them to fall back upon Rimini, and bring two hundred light horse and five hundred infantry, of which they had the command. But, unaware of the urgency of his situation, at the very moment when they were attempting to surprise La Pergola and Fossombrone, they were surrounded by Orsino of Gravina and Vitellozzo. Ugo di Cardona and Michelotto defended themselves like lions, but in spite of their utmost efforts their little band was cut to pieces, and Ugo di Cardona taken prisoner, while Michelotto only escaped the same fate by lying down among the dead. When night came on, he escaped to Fanno. But even alone as he was, almost without troops at Imola, the Confederates dared attempt nothing against Caesar, whether because of the personal fear he inspired, or because in him they respected the ally of the King of France. They contented themselves with taking the towns and fortresses in the neighbourhood. Vitellozzo had retaken the fortresses of Fossombrone, Urbino, Cali, and Agobbio. Orsino of Gravina had reconquered Fano and the whole province, while Gian Maria di Verano, the same who by his absence had escaped being massacred with the rest of his family, had re-entered Camerino, borne in triumph by his people. Not even all this could destroy Caesar's confidence in his own good fortune, and while he was on the one hand urging on the arrival of the French troops, and calling in to his prey all those gentlemen known as broken lances, because they went about the country in parties of five or six only, and attached themselves to anyone who wanted them, he had opened up negotiations with his enemies, certain that from that very day when he should persuade them to a conference they were undone. Indeed, Caesar had the power of persuasion as a gift from heaven, and though they perfectly well knew his duplicity, they had no power of resisting. Not so much of his actual eloquence, as that air of frank good nature which Machiavelli so greatly admired, and which indeed more than once deceived even him, wily politician as he was. In order to get Paolo Orsino to treat with him at Imola, Caesar sent Cardinal Borgia to the Confederates as a hostage, and on this Paolo Orsino hesitated no longer, and on the 25th of October, 1502, arrived at Imola. Caesar received him as an old friend, from whom one might have been estranged a few days, because of some slight passing differences. He frankly avowed that all the fault was no doubt on his side, since he had contrived to alienate men who were such loyal lords and also such brave captains. But with men of their nature, he added, an honest, honourable explanation such as he would give must put everything once more in statu quo. To prove that it was goodwill, not fear, that brought him back to them, he showed Orsino the letters from Cardinal Amboise, which announced the speedy arrival of French troops. He showed him those he had collected about him, in the wish, he declared, that they might be thoroughly convinced that what he chiefly regretted in the whole matter was not so much the loss of the distinguished captains who were the very soul of his vast enterprise, as that he had led the world to believe, in a way so fatal to his own interest, that he could for a single instant fail to recognise their merit, adding that he consequently relied upon him, Paolo Orsino, whom he had always cared for most, to bring back the Confederates by a peace which would be as much for the profit of all as a war was hurtful to all, and that he was ready to sign a treaty in consonance with their wishes so long as it should not prejudice his own honour. Orsino was the man Caesar wanted. 
full of pride and confidence in himself he was convinced of the truth of the old proverb that says a pope cannot reign eight days if he has half the colonnas and the orsini against him he believed therefore if not in caesar's good faith at any rate in the necessity he must feel for making peace accordingly he signed with him the following conventions which only needed ratification on the eighteenth of october fifteen o two which we reproduce here as machiavelli sent them to the magnificent republic of florence agreement between the duke of valentinois and the confederates let it be known to the parties mentioned below and to all who shall see these presents that his excellency the duke of romagna of the one part and the orsini of the other part together with their confederates desiring to put an end to differences enmities misunderstandings and suspicions which have arisen between them have resolved as follows there shall be between them peace and alliance true and perpetual with a complete obliteration of wrongs and injuries which may have taken place up to this day both parties engaging to preserve no resentment of the same and in conformity with the aforesaid peace and union his excellency the duke of romagna shall receive into perpetual confederation league and alliance all the lords aforesaid and each of them shall promise to defend the estates of all in general and of each in particular against any power that may annoy or attack them for any cause whatsoever excepting always nevertheless the pope alexander the sixth and his very christian majesty louis the twelfth king of france the lords above named promising on the other part to unite in the defence of the person and estates of his excellency and also those of the most illustrious lords don gafredo barger prince of squillas don rodrigo barger duke of sermeta and Bicelli, and don gian borgia duke of camerino and negi all brothers or nephews of the duke of romagna moreover since the rebellion and usurpation of urbino have occurred during the above-mentioned misunderstandings all the confederates aforesaid and each of them shall bind themselves to unite all their forces for the recovery of the estates aforesaid and of such other places as have revolted and been usurped his excellency the duke of romagna shall undertake to continue to the orsini and vitelli their ancient engagements in the way of military service and on the same conditions his excellency promises further not to insist on the service in person of more than one of them as they may choose the service that the others may render shall be voluntary he also promises that the second treaty shall be ratified by the sovereign pontiff who shall not compel cardinal orsino to reside in rome longer than shall seem convenient to this prelate furthermore since there are certain differences between the pope and the lord gian benfivoglio the confederates aforesaid agree that they shall be put to the arbitration of cardinal orsino of his excellency the duke of romagna and of the lord pandolfo petrucci without appeal thus the confederates engage each and all so soon as they may be required by the duke of romagna to put into his hands as a hostage one of the legitimate sons of each of them in that place and at that time which he may be pleased to indicate the same confederates promising moreover all and each that if any project directed against any one of them come to their knowledge to give warning thereof and all to prevent such project reciprocally it is agreed over and above between the duke of romagna and the confederates aforesaid to regard as a common enemy any who shall fail to keep the present stipulations and to unite in the destruction of any states not conforming thereto signed caesar paolo orsino agapit 
Secretary. End of section number 23